Hello, and welcome to A View from the Perch, a podcast covering important financial topics from the perspective of two certified financial planners. Each week, we give a brief market update, discuss current economic conditions, and provide education on a financial subject. Now, here are your hosts, Bill Parrott and Spencer Nguyen. All right, Bill, new week, same question. How are the markets? Down, 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 and down. Uh, so the S&P 500 uh, over the last five trading days down 0.23%. Small caps down 2.5%. International down 1.64%. And long bonds down 2%. So year to date, uh, all the indices are in negative territory. Yeah, so I think we're transitioning from that period of, oh, people are taking profits or or maybe not. Kind of what's the causation of this downturn? Is it just market sentiment or? Well, interest rates have gone up quite a bit this year. The 10-year treasury is up over six and a quarter percent. The 30 years up over 7%. So I think a lot of people are realizing or maybe starting to realize that the Fed is not going to start lowering interest rates right away. And, and some are even suggesting not at all. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not in that camp. Uh, so I, I think um, people are now kind of hedging their bets a little bit, taking some money off the table. Uh, money still flows into money market accounts, money market funds. Um, and also Boeing's down 22% this year uh, already because of their fiasco. And, and that's a big driver of the Dow Jones. So that's... Mm-hmm really a main reason why the indices are trading off uh, is because of Boeing. Yeah. And so we saw that uptick in, in yields. Is is that just for the statements you kind of talked about that people are assuming, hey, maybe rate, rate cuts aren't coming as soon or as as frequent as anticipated to start the year? Yeah. And some in, inflation data, uh, economic data is still mm-hmm. coming in, um, not red hot, but not uh, super cool either. So uh, probably a combination of the two, looking at the data. And then again, people realizing that the Fed is not lowering rates today. And mm-hmm. people are like, ah, I'm going to sell. And uh, so rates rates are marching higher. Um, pretty significant move to start the year. I mean, we're only, what, two, three weeks in, and the, the 10-year Treasury is already up over six and a quarter percent. So hopefully it starts to uh, settle down here and 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 get back to business as usual. But now the focus is on earnings because mm-hmm. a lot of the other issues have been taken off the table, um, like the Fed raising rates, inflation going higher. And so now the focus goes back to companies. But we're having a good day today on the NASDAQ. Uh, uh, Taiwan Semi is sitting at an all-time high today. Their earnings were phenomenal. Uh, so... Earnings are, are front and center again, which is a good thing. Yeah, that's a great thing. And you don't anticipate us being extremely dependent on like production data or PPI or CPI, or do you think that's still going to be the topic of conversation for the entire year, or are we going to focus more on earnings or maybe a balance, or do you think that's just going to be the yeah, same they're, thing? Yeah, they're always going to be front and center, those earnings and uh, inflation and interest rates. I mean, those are the the triad, the trifecta, you mm-hmm. know, that's what people are going to look at is the uh, inflation data, interest rates, earnings, 
those are key components to where stocks and bonds go. Makes a sense. Well, hopefully we get a good earnings season. Um, we've had a couple come out and they've been done well. And then especially the banks came out and a couple of them made earnings, a couple of them missed. So we yeah. shall see. Um, perfect. Well, let's transition over to our empowering education. And I think this fits to the conversation we're having today is how much risk am I taking? Or mm. what's a good healthy amount of risk? Or what is risk? Um, so we're talking all about risk in terms of kind of your portfolio and your allocations. So let's just bring it back to very sub-level. What are we talking about when we say risk in, in terms of investment? Well, for most people, they define risk as losing money. Uh, they buy a stock at 20 and it goes to 10. They've lost $10. Uh, so that's their definition of risk, uh, which is pretty limited because there's all kinds of risk. There's inflation risk, interest rate risk, longevity risk, uh, and so on, and so uh, interest rate risk as well. So you you have to define multiple definitions of risk when yeah. you look at an investment portfolio because it's just not losing money. Uh, for example, somebody that has a hundred percent of their money in treasuries, they assume they're taking no risk, mm -hmm. uh, but they're exposed to inflation risk. You know, over thirty years, that portfolio is going to lose a third of its purchasing power. And they potentially run into longevity risk of outliving their money. So in the near term, it looks like they're not taking any risk. But when you back the camera up, uh, they're taking a lot of risk uh, by being exposed to inflation and longevity risk. So for most people, though, the definition of risk is losing money. I don't want to lose money. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And we kind of discussed about it a little bit, but I like to go in, in more detail about why is risk important? You know, people have their target goals, they have their stocks they like. So why does investment have a huge focus on risk when we're talking to clients? Well, risk and reward are related. Uh, you, you can't do anything in life without taking a risk, hmm. whether it's surfing, skiing, mountain biking, walking across the street, whatever, you can't avoid risk. Um, you can try to limit it, but it's always there. And with investing, uh, that risk premium is where the growth comes. If there is no risk, everybody would earn, you know, one, two or 3% on their money. And that's why uh, treasuries offer low rates because there's no short-term risk to them, right? If you put money in a one month T-bill, you're getting that money back. There's there's no risk to it. Um, you know, it's kind of like the ice skating analogy where uh, there's a frozen lake and it has warning signs. You know, you could fall in the ice, check the ice. So there's always a brave soul that goes out first. And that individual enjoys awesome skating. No one else is on the ice. Then eventually another person joins and another person and another person. Uh, eventually you have like a thousand people on the ice. And then finally that person who's risk averse is okay. I'll finally go skating, mm. but the ice cracks because there's too many people on the ice. And he says, Oh, I should, I, I knew it was going to crack. I shouldn't have gone skating, but that first person enjoyed hours of skating risk-free. And then everybody starts to go in because they say, Oh, it looks fine. It looks good. I'm going in, but now there's too many people on the ice. And that's the same thing with a lot of people in the market. The market's gone up substantially. And now they say, oh, I think it's safe to get back into the market. I think I'll invest today. 
Yeah, and, and let's, let's talk about that. We have a huge uptick in the market last year, and a lot of people are probably looking at their portfolios and their stock allocation has probably increased due to just the appreciation of that security. So what do clients do when, or where do you think they are, where they think the majority of people, if they haven't really looked at their accounts, do you think they're overweight in risk? And is that a, a bad thing? Or how do clients know and how do clients kind of um, reconcile that, that risk that they're seeing after a great year? Well, if they are not rebalancing their account, and we rebalance our models regularly to make sure people's risk level are intact. But if you're not rebalancing your account, most people don't. Mm -hmm. You're coming into 2024 with more risk than you probably realize. If you did nothing last year, your equity exposure went up significantly. And if you think you're not taking a lot of risk, you probably are because the market went up substantially. So by doing nothing last year, this year, your risk exposure has gone up significantly if you are not rebalancing. So people need to uh, revisit their allocation, rebalance their account, move money around so they're not taking on too much risk. People who don't rebalance are usually uh, too aggressive at the wrong time and too conservative at the wrong time. And, and that's where a lot of people probably are today is they're probably too aggressive for their own good. And, and how would they come up with that kind of equation of, oh, I am taking too much risk? Well, they need to call a financial planner. Uh, for one, uh, I don't think a lot of people know how to calculate it, and they don't know what it means. You know, mm -hmm. if I tell somebody you're seventy percent stock, they're like, "Okay, what does that mean? Who cares? What I, is it good? Is it bad? They don't know." Mm -hmm. And um, they need to look at their exposure to stocks and and calculate it. Yeah. Uh, but most people don't have uh, the tools or resources to calculate how much risk they have. Yeah. So they don't, they're flying blind in terms of risk is, is concerned. Yeah, and so. risk tolerance is a very unique kind of metric because it's dependent on every single person. Every, I think every single person has a different risk tolerance, and you can't say, okay, this is the perfect amount of risk for you because it depends on your comfortability. It depends on your goals. And so, yeah, I would agree. If you're looking at your portfolio and you're like, well, this seems Latin to me when I'm talking about risk, that's where having conversations, I think, is mm -hmm. the most beneficial thing, especially with the financial planner, because they can walk you or we can walk you through, hey, this is what it means, this is what your portfolio might have a downturn, are you comfortable with that? Does that make you tense up and want to throw up? Because we've had that occur when we've talked about market testing. Um, and so I think you're right, just the ab ability to measure risk and to calculate it is, is very, it's it's unique and it takes uh, takes a certain amount of processing and a certain amount of um, skills in order to really articulate how you get risk. Because anybody can fill out a questionnaire, but is that 100% accurate when it's just paper rather than, like a paper questionnaire rather than their money that you have emotional investments into? You know, who, who knows? But um, what would you say to that person that is kind of risk adverse? They're seeing everybody skate, everybody's laughing, having a great time similar to everybody's having a great time in the market at the fourth quarter of last year, do you say, hey, don't ever go ice skating? Or really, what's kind of your, your motivation for them? Well, they need a plan. They need to decide what they want their money to do. Uh, same thing with ice skating. You know, They need to figure out where they're going to go, when they're going to go, um, how long they're going to be out there. And 
you know, it's interesting. We're talking about ice skating in Austin, Texas, which is, you know, <laughs> there are no frozen ponds yeah, around here. Gonna say, maybe, but... maybe a couple of days ago, but anyways. Uh, so if you're listening to this in Texas, you're like, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> This is for our clients in Minnesota. Exactly. Um, but no, I, I, I think they need a game plan to determine. Now, risk tolerance questionnaires, you know, some people love them, some people hate them. We use them as a guide. Uh, but it, it's like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they're punched in the mouth. And no one really knows how much risk they can take until they're in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the market went up significantly last year. So if we were talking to somebody today, their risk level and risk tolerance is high. They're like, oh, yeah, I could take a lot of risk. But if we were having this conversation in 2022, they're going to give us a different answer because the market's down substantially. And so one of the questions that I tell people, I say, hey, ask yourself, what did you do in 2022? Mm. What did you do? during the COVID correction in 2020? What did you do in the fourth quarter of 2018? What did you do during the great financial crisis? What did you do during the tech wreck? What did you do, do during the crash in 1987? If you are one that always sold at the worst time, you're risk averse and you yeah. probably shouldn't be in the market. Uh, there's an individual that I talk to on a regular basis who always says, oh, um, I'm, I'm aggressive, I'm risky, but every time the market's down, they call. What's wrong? Should I get out? So to me, they're not as aggressive as they think they are. Mm. Um, so it boils down to having a plan and they could review their own trading. What did they do during the darkest days of the market? That really determines what the risk level is. We have some clients that when the market's down substantially, their clients say, what can we buy today? What looks good? Mm. What what should we adjust our portfolio? And others say, get me out at all costs. That's the true test. Yeah. And I, I think that's why risk is so important because if you don't have that tolerance or that comfortability with the risk that you're taking your allocation, when we do have these corrections, which always occur, like I, we're always surprised by them, but they always occur. If you sell, we talk about this pretty frequently. If you sell at the worst time, you miss out on those gains and it's really hard to catch up if you're not just staying put and buying and holding, it's difficult when you're like, okay, I'm going to sell out when it's the worst time. And then you see this gigantic rebound and you get in and I feel like you're always playing catch up and missing out on a significant portion of your returns rather than if you were a little bit less aggressive or able to stomach that loss because of that less risk, you'd keep it in the market or you keep it your allocation the same and you'd be able to get those rebound days that normally occur in the darkest hours. So that's why I think well, people, people always ask, do you beat the market? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, but the reality is most people don't, even professional money managers. No. But if you, if you tell somebody, we're going to get you market returns for the rest of your life, that does not excite them. But if they get market returns for the rest of their life, they're going to be insanely rich and wealthy because most people don't do it. Most people try to time the market. But if you get historical rates of return, your money is probably doubling every seven to 10 years just by doing nothing, just by staying invested. Uh, so if you tell somebody, we give you market returns, they're like, oh, well, this person's promising to beat the market and uh, they're, they're not likely to do it. So 
let the risk of the market, let the long-term growth of the market work to your favor. I think there's less risk to owning stocks than there is owning bonds and cash over time. Yeah. Yeah. And different types of risk, as you said at the beginning, like, mm -hmm. hey, you might have more exposure to market risk when we're talking about stocks due to the fluctuation of volatility of the market. But we had inflation at 9% two years ago. And so it's just that idea if you had only cash, you're mm -hmm. losing 9% of that per year. And now it's at 3%. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's that's a good point. So what would you say to those that are like, okay, risk, I can stomach it. You know, you always talk about this, the market's up and averages 10% per year. And I know there's dips and valleys in it. Why don't I just push all my chips and say, hey, I'm just gonna go 100% in the S&P and just say, I'll take that 10% um, averaged out. Yeah, they probably should. <laughs> I think they should go all in. Several years ago, I was working with a doctor's practice here in town and the most senior doctors, uh, when they started the practice, when they were in their 30s, they were young. Now they're in their 70s. Uh, they were all 100% stock in their 401k plan. And their accounts were in the multi-millions of dollars, you know, four, five, six million dollars. The people that were a lot more conservative weren't even close to their valuations. And these doctors understood risk, smart people, uh, PhDs, MDs, they were full throttle for their entire working career. And they had the evidence, they had the proof. So I, I can't argue with that. Yeah. And if I were in my 20s, um, I'd go 100%. Actually, in my 401k right now, I'm 100% equities. Yep. My daughter and her 401k, I said, you need to go 100% equities. And my wife's 403b, she's 100% equities. So, um, yeah, my 401k is also 100% equities. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I think for a lot of people, that's not bad advice. Now, I know there's probably people listening to this going, I can't believe they're saying that. <laughs> it, it's a personal preference. Exactly. And we have a lot of clients that are 100% bonds because they yeah. don't want to take any risk. So, it, it's uh, risk is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. And I, risk is also eye of the beholder and how much you take. The determinant is contingent upon a lot of factors. Like oh, we talked about your comfortability, but we also talked about your goals. If you have one million dollars in assets and you plan on only spending, I don't know, forty to thirty thousand per year, you maybe don't need to take that much risk. Um, if you're kind of getting to that age of retirement now, if you're in your twenties and you have ten thousand dollars in your four hundred one k, and you're not going to touch that for forty years, well, you need to start building equity. So you need to start accumulating it need to take that risk um, to in order to fund your goals. So that's really where I think a lot of things get disconnected is, okay, I might be comfortable with it, but if my goals don't need it, am I getting compensated for that risk? And so I, there's just so many factors that I think what you talked about at the beginning, having a plan and reaching out to a financial planner, that's where really your value gets derived from. Yeah, because if you tell a client or ask a client, what's your standard deviation in your portfolio? They're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. But uh, to be clear also, if you need money in a year or less, like if you are buying a home, a car, uh, you need it for tuition, uh, medical reasons, do not invest that money in the stock. No. Keep it in cash, savings account, money market, CD, treasury, because you can't afford to lose it in the near term. So don't don't be risky and aggressive with money you can't afford to lose. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Because if you lose that, you're SOL. Now, on a one-year basis, the stock market can be up 50% or it can be down 50%. So don't risk money you can't afford to lose. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think having a plan, knowing your time frame, having those goals are very important and just finding out your risk tolerance. And I think a good practice is think about the last time you had money invested and when a correction occurred, how did you feel? What did you do? That's really going to give light to kind of your future future plans. Because if you were too aggressive and you lost too much and you got a gigantic knot in your stomach and you sold everything, well, let's talk about that. Let's decrease your risk. Are you able to keep that investment and not lose out on those gains that we talked about? Yeah, and you know, real life risk. My roommate in college was a huge risk taker, and, and I'm not by, by nature. But I did everything he did, but it scared the heck out of me. So we, <laughs> we, did, uh, we went bungee jumping out of a hot air balloon once. And, and I don't like heights. And <laughs> I don't like hot air balloons. And I did it once. And afterwards, it was, you know, I was pumped up. I was excited. But I'm never doing it again. <laughs> you know, I, I checked that box. Um, and he, he took me on some ski runs that were just nasty. Um, one's called Shoot 75 in, in uh, well, it used to be Squaw Valley off the KT-22 Scarelift. It's like vertical. <laughs> I'm never doing that again. Um, but now, through age, I know what I'm willing to do, what I'm not willing to do. Mm. And so a lot of risk questions come with time. Yeah. And to your point, what did you do during the last market correction? And as you get older, you're like, okay, I don't want to go through that again. Or... It didn't bother me. Whatever your answer is, then you could adjust accordingly. So a lot of it is just wisdom and time as well. Just knowing you, knowing how the markets react, and knowing what your portfolio is going to do. Yeah, no, I think that's that's perfect. And I think I'd be more nervous about the hard air balloon than I would be the bungee jumping. Now, combining both of those, that sounds like a horrible combination. <laughs> it, you know, again, uh, check that box. But as Jay Leno says, it's... It's not the plane that's going to kill you. It's the ground, you know. And so, um, you know, I, I, and I went first. I said, I'm going first because I'm not going to sit around here all day watching everybody jump. You know, I want to get it out of the way. And uh, yeah, it's fun. Glad I did it, but I'm not doing it again. That would be my fun fact for a while. If I was especially in those college circles, like, hey, how many of you guys have jumped out of a perfectly good hot air balloon and not even with a parachute, but just with a bungee attached to me. <laughs> now my daughter went up to me. She, she did a bungee jump in Greece off a very super high bridge. Oof. And uh, it's in the a canal and they have to wait for the boats to go through. Then they jump. So I think her jump was like two, three, four times mine. And, uh, but she, I think she has a lot more risk than I do. She, <laughs> She's, she's more of a risk taker. Risk taker. No, that makes perfect sense. Well, thanks for that expertise. We'll transition into our faithful finance. And today's segment comes from Isaiah 43, 9. It says, you are my witness, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I chose, that you may know me and believe me, understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. And during this, the Lord is speaking to the Israelites and Isaiah the prophet um, and they, they've gone through some strife, they've gone through some troubles, uh, and the Lord is really speaking to them saying, hey, 
I created you for a specific purpose and that's to be a witness and I think that's a, a huge part that we are that's our commission as followers like even the Lord said go therefore and make disciples and that's witnessing to the things that you've experienced the things that you've seen whether that be what the Lord's done in your life whether that be how the Lord's taking care of you we're called to witness same thing as a crime scene if we witness something we're going to report it to the police officer report our experience we don't have to add anything to it we just say what we've seen and heard in the same manner, that's what we're, we're called to do as Christians. Mm-hmm. And I think what is really cool about this verse is that a lot of times when we think about testimonies and witnessing, we think about proselytization or preaching the gospel, which is a huge part of bringing people to the faith. But the Lord here says the reason why you witness is that you may know me mm-hmm. and believe me and understand me. So actually witness and, and giving testimony benefits the person giving first rather than the person receiving, which I thought was very interesting. And if we take a step back, I think we all can, you know, give a testimony on how the Lord's done something in our lives or how we've been saved. But if we've transitioned that to finance, how do we use our financial positions? How do we use our financial um finances to be a witness to the Lord, whether that be giving money away or even more so, how has the Lord triumphed over the fear of losing? How has the Lord triumphed over the fear of not having enough? How has the Lord triumphed over the lust of society and material wealth? I think that is something oh, that um, that is, is extremely valuable that sometimes we we lose but um that's kind of what i was thinking when we talked about isaiah i like it and uh you know words more importantly action they they you know witness you know what what message are you sending to uh, society with your money you mm-hmm. know are, are, are you buying lamborghinis or are you helping others and they say that you could tell a person's heart by looking at their checkbook and credit card statements because yes. you know money follows the heart and you spend on things that are important to you. So what what is your uh, you know your checkbook saying about you as a witness? And uh, but how how do you counter that? Because a lot of times you know he says don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Yeah. So um, can you be a witness privately? <laughs> oh yeah, I, I think for sure. Um, and I think how you're able to do the left hand from the right hand is your understanding that you're giving or you're witnessing via your finances not for to bolster you but it's mm-hmm. actually to get closer to the lord i think it's motivation wise like oh my left hand is giving and i don't want to receive this earthly glory but rather the reason why my left hand is giving is order to fulfill the commission i'm called but even more so to get closer to my savior mm-hmm. and i think once that kind of switch has been made, the right hand, which is getting close to the Lord, just completely surpasses what you're doing with your left. And a lot of companies in December and this time of year uh, post about how much they gave. And 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 I kind of struggle with those because on one hand, uh, it's good that they're doing it and it's a good cause. But on the other hand, why are they posting about it? Like, what's what's the motivation? Is it letting others know what they're doing? Are they using it for business? I, you know, I don't, I don't know what their heart is, but uh, uh, again, I'm conflicted when I see those giving posts 
that companies are doing online. Um, yeah, that makes all sense. Yeah, and not, who knows, not like, so much not so much the serving, like, mm -hmm. but the giving. Yeah. That's uh, I, I think it's kind of cool when companies post, "Hey, we did a serving project today," but I struggle with the the giving yeah. component of it. Yeah, I do too. And it's like, how do I earthly self know the motivations of a man's or a woman's heart? Like, that's just that's impossible. Uh, yeah. But I I think you're right. Like the advertisement sake of it is kind of it gets, you know, that's the left hand knowing exactly what the left hand is doing and using it as yeah. advantageous for them. So, yeah. Yeah. But I just think taking a step back and, and thinking about, okay, we share testimonies all the time, mm. how we got saved, but how do we live on testimony or as a witness every single day? And that's in how we drive, which I'm, I struggle with sometimes because I'm on 620 a lot, but, and it's also with how we, we spend, like you said, the checkbook, but it's, it's in all facets of our life. So let's not compartmentalize and say, Oh, being a witness and being a testimony is only when I'm preaching the gospel. Like, no, let's take yeah. a step back and say it's it's how I work, it's how I connect myself in business, it's it's everything. Well, I think uh, a lot of people forget God's always watching. So even though you might be in your car by yourself in six twenty and you're not happy with your fellow drivers, <laughs> you know, God is always watching you, sure. and and how are you reacting to? Yeah. Uh, your fellow commuters. <laughs> yeah, completely agree. It's a it's a struggle sometimes. So Lord forgive me. Uh, how would you like to end, or what's what's kind of a final word? How would you like to piece this together? You know, uh, risk is is different things to many people, and um, I, I I believe to truly understand it, you need to go through the planning process because what, what what we found is people don't know what they own. Uh, they don't know how much risk they're taking, and they certainly don't know the fees they're paying. Mm. And so our planning process uh, exposes all that, opens it up. We show them, here's what you own. Here's your risk level. Here's the fees that you're paying. And a lot of people are surprised mm. at uh, what they have under the hood. And so the plan is a way for people to um, identify and 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 harness that risk level absolutely well thank you so much all right see you